standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's Sunday Chops. This week I'm chatting to screenwriter, producer, but mostly prolific writer of books, Cecilia Ahern. We chatted about her new novel Freckles, Finding Your Tribe, Bringing the Written Word to the Screen, and Sister Act, because who doesn't want to talk about Sister Act? I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed chatting to Cecilia. I'm joined by she who needs no introduction, really, but in case you've been, I don't know, somewhere else forever, screenwriter, producer, and author of a few books, Cecilia Rahern. Hi, Cecilia. Hello. Hello. (laughs) You've written a few, but you've written a new one called Freckles, which is what you're here to talk to us about today. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's um, my 18th novel, can you believe? Um, Yeah. That's a lot. (laughs) Cecilia, I'm, I'm looking at you and I think you are roughly the same age as me. So how, how do yeah. you find the time? Look, everyone has a job, I suppose. Well, not everyone. <laughs> not everyone has a job. <laughs> Lots of people have jobs. But I suppose we don't always see what everybody does. It just so happens that my work is out there and it's nice to be celebrated for it and recognised for it. So I don't think that I, I work more than anybody else. But I, I have this system where I, I produce one novel a year. And it has become, not that it's not creative, but i very disciplined and I have a routine where I usually begin a novel in January, uh, which is always due in May. And then I edit for the summer and it's published in the autumn. And that's been, I suppose I've written a novel every year. Sometimes the two came out in the same year. Um, and that's how I've gotten to this point with that many. But, but any novelist who writes one a year or who has that kind of a deal is doing the same thing. So I'm, I'm not alone in that. You just have to find a structure that works for you and treat it like, like it is a creative thing, but it, it is also a job and you're living. So you have to make it work for you in your life that way. So, I mean, I'm, I, I am actually going to ask you about the book in a minute, but just while we're talking about it, like this, I've written a book, which is going to be published next year. It's not a novel, it's a nonfiction book, but like the discipline you have to have and this is from someone who works from home most of the time anyway for the podcast, for the discipline you have to have to make yourself sit down every day and write. And, and like, you know, writing's fun, you know, like as, as jobs go, mm-hmm. there's definitely worse jobs you can do. So it's, it Absolutely. feels like yeah. a bit of a weird thing to whinge about, but it does require like extraordinary discipline sometimes to make yourself do it. How do you make yourself do it? Is it just so routine that... You just get up, you sit down, you do your writing for the day and then and then that's it. Do you put in like a word limit that you have to achieve each day? I think I need writing. Some people find it hard to be alone. I don't. Um, I, I like that. Mm. Um, and and I don't find it difficult, honestly. If, particularly if, I'm, if I begin something, it's in my nature to want to immediately finish it. Like I have that kind of almost frustration and irritation that I, I need to get to the end of it. You know, like if you start a jigsaw or something, or, you know, I need to finish it until until all those pieces are in place. I can't stop. So I have that kind of inner drive. Yeah, you do have to be very disciplined. But if you're in the story, which usually you are, on a good day you are, if I finish it, I feel like I've paused the character and I'm, I've kind of left them in limbo. So I can't wait to get back and continue them. And that's that's when you get in the flow, you know, and that's where the magic happens when you're in the flow. And obviously not every day is magical like that. You have mm. to push it. Um, but most of the time I feel that I go to a completely other place when I'm writing. And I, it could feel like five minutes and an hour has passed. 
you know, so it's, I suppose a lot of writers will talk about the struggle of it. And yes, there are days where it is like that, but I, I find it such a brilliant place to be that it's quite addictive. And, you know, there's that lovely adrenaline rush of coming up with a new idea or something new or you have a really good day and it's, it, it is addictive. I, so, and it's a lovely form of escapism as well. And like you say, it is not, I, there's so many other things, there are worse jobs that I could be doing that I just find it, I almost can't believe that this is my job. And I kind of come down to my space, my little office space here and I say, hello room, you know, <laughs> just so delighted to have my own space and a place to think and create. And I light a candle and I kind of, I turn it into this nice positive moment for myself. So I think that's what, to be honest, has got me through the the 18 years of, of writing a novel each time it has to feel like this lovely experience for me. It's just talking about the creative process a little bit more. 18 books is a lot, as discussed. I mean, where do all the ideas come from? It's kind of a stupid question because obviously they come from your mind, but like, how do you find these characters? Yeah, no, it's not a stupid question. And I think it's a hard one to answer, but it's definitely one that I would ask any any novelist or any creative person um, I just wish I had a really good answer for it. I could probably go through each book and tell you the aha moment, you know, but the moment, the aha moment doesn't always equal the story that's told. You know, mm. it's like I was staring at a bin one day and, <laughs> you know, the mind goes on this yeah. really weird journey and suddenly you arrive at this idea. But I can, I do some of the observation, imagination and experience. So I'm always watching, not, not in a nosy way, because I'm actually not a nosy person. I I don't know. I don't notice a lot of people, but I like observing the world around me. I have a very vivid imagination. Like I, I, I live in my head. And then, of course, when you're writing, you have to bring your own experience to it. Like not necessarily things that have happened to me, but how I imagine I would feel if I was put in that position. You know, when your whole experience of life and everything has to come to the story. If I'm that kind of person, if I'm always watching and I'm curious and I'm always daydreaming and imagining and always asking, what if, what if, what if in, in every situation, then that's, that's how ideas come. Other times it's like, I have a little notebook here that I would write down even title ideas or a cool character. And I, I jot them down and I keep them together. Or if, if I come across an article in a magazine or in the news or something, sometimes they can trigger ideas, but they don't always tell an entire story. Mm. Like sometimes, um, I'll have a really good idea, but there's no novel in it, you know, so things may take years and years and years before they're fully formed. I think usually I I would have an idea about five years before it becomes a novel. That's so interesting, though, because then you have to write the other five novels that come in that time. I know. (laughs) I think it's because it's been so much time now where I've been doing this, that they're, they're kind of building up. I also write very, I don't just write novels. So I also create for TV and I write the short stories too. So when an idea comes, I think, oh, that's brilliant, but that's not a novel. Like this is where I'm at right now. I have this idea that I feel is really strong but I don't think it's a novel. I think I have to write it as a screenplay or, you know, but is it a short movie? Is it a TV series? Is it, you know, I'm trying to figure out what it is. I have to keep my little notebook of ideas and and the stories decide themselves, I think, in what format they'll be told. So let's get on to Freckles, which I want you to tell the listeners a bit about, but I'm just interested because you mentioned it just now. What was the aha moment for Freckles? Can you remember? Yes, I can, actually. It was about five years ago. <laughs> and my brother-in-law said this expression to me, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Choose wisely. And the reason he said it was because 
my mom said something to him and we were together in the room and he had turned his back and couldn't figure out was it me or my mom that said it you know we were kind of morphing into each other and he's like which one was it you know you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with and I had never heard the expression before and it was just one of those phrases that was so simple yet sparked off so much thought in my head and like who are my five people and that's just actually the way I go is not necessarily thinking about myself I always go to fiction I always think oh that's a story I could tell and it stayed with me and I'd say within the hour of him saying that to me I had my character I had my story you know I typed it up really quickly on my phone and yeah and then it became freckles so that, that was my aha moment. So it's about a young woman named Allegra Bird and her nickname is Freckles. And she hears this expression, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And she starts analysing the five people around her, like her five people and what their characters say about who she is. Not quite satisfied with what she discovers. She realises that she has the ability to just pick a specific set of five people that she wants to become the average of. And so the story is about her kind of analyzing her own five people, but reaching out to very different five people, like someone in politics, someone in sports, someone in, in business, someone from her past and someone that I won't name because it'll give it away. So she can be kind of curate her life and, and she can become who she she can shape herself and shape this new character. And it's very much about identity, you know, and it's about loneliness. She's a very quirky, unusual character. She's a parking warden. So she lives by this very rigid, strict set of rules and she's very routine, disciplined person. So when she hears this expression, she takes it as a new guideline. You know, I need to follow this to become a new version of myself. Yeah, about, I suppose, human connection um, and, and about a person trying to find her place to fit in society. Do you think she's a sad character? Do, do you feel bad for her? Yeah, there are moments, yeah, when, when you do, um, when I do. She's a, she's an outsider. Yeah. You know, I love finding, I think increasingly in my novels, I've been writing about outsiders, but very peculiar people who, who are very awkward, you know, very socially awkward and don't necessarily fit in. Um, and she says herself, you know, that human interaction is a dance that she can't catch the rhythm to. And she knows that about herself and yet consistently puts her foot in it and says the wrong things and and she's not trying, even though I say she's trying to kind of shape herself, ultimately she doesn't want to change who she is. She's just trying to find her tribe, you know, trying to find a place to fit in. So I love that about her. I personally love unusual people. I, I find them intriguing, probably a bit weird myself. <laughs> I'm probably an outsider myself. You know, I just love observing and, and standing back and watching. But people like her are very special. And I think everybody's unique and different, you know, but there's there's something about someone like Allegra who's just a little bit off you know she might make people feel a little bit uncomfortable but yet there's something really I suppose I love to get into her character and like what makes her tick what makes her say those bizarre things which to her are so normal mm. um yet make other people uncomfortable so yeah the, she's not sad there are moments of sadness in the story but she's she's trying to kind of make herself feel a little bit more complete I mean I was thinking as I was reading it because your life must have changed like quite a lot you know over time and I'm sort of interested in the idea because Allegra has you know she one of the problems she has is that she's gone on a let's call it a sort of special mission that's taken her away from her friends and her family from a kind of like I, I guess sort of fairly remote 
part of Ireland to Dublin, which is where all of this is sort of happening. And the good friends that she had back home, they've sort of outgrown each other, really. And I'm kind of interested in the idea with friendships that we don't sort of look at them in the same way that we look at, like, romantic relationships where you sort of accept that people change and and, and relationships might change and people might move on and we don't really think of our friendships in the same way and I just wondered if you had any sort of thoughts on that. That's interesting. I suppose for me, like, I don't have loads of friends, but the ones I have are solid, you know, like, they're really... um they're friends from from 11, 11 years old, like the first day at mm. secondary school, like is now my best friend, you know. And then it's weird because as you get older, it's kind of harder to meet new people because you don't know absolutely everything about them. You know, you haven't yeah. grown with them and changed with them. And so I'm sure some of my friends wouldn't befriend me now, <laughs> but but they know who I am and they, they adored me when they met me. I, I don't know if that's the opposite to what you're saying or if that's what you're saying, but I, I find that with friends that you, that you change together. And you grow up together or sometimes in a relationship, you know, if, if you're moving at different directions, your, your relationship can end, you know, mm. whereas with friends there, I know for me, my core group were there no matter what. Is that the opposite to what you meant? Kind of. Yeah, but that's yeah. fine. That's your that's yeah. your perspective on it. So that's that, you know, it's, it's still interesting. But I, do, but I said part of the part of the discussion of the five people is that, you know, it's not about the five people who who've shaped you your entire life? Because I think that's a different question. You know, I think those kind of people are, are your core people that could be there for your whole life. You know, some great, some auntie that's, you know, really shaped you or, mm. you know, with the five people who, who are the average, you're the average of the five people. It could change at different moments of your life. Like if you get a new job, then your your five people change. You know, if you change your bus route, you know, or get a different train and the five people that you're seeing every day change. Mm. Um, if you move neighborhoods, then those five people change. And what the story is kind of pointing out is that your five people may not be the obvious people. Like it could be someone at every morning you have a chat with at the bus stop or, you know, someone that you get your coffee from or those different people who aren't maybe necessarily your core five could be really influencing the thoughts that you have every day. And that's what I wanted to kind of point out. And it's also some relationships can be kind of toxic, Mm. you know, I think over time. Yeah. And the older you get, the more you think, I don't need this person in my life. They're really not doing anything good for me at all. And that it's time to, you know, not maybe get rid of them, but may, maybe don't let them be one of your five, which is a very special group to be in. So that, you know, there's all of these kind of questions raised in, in the story. So you mentioned that she reaches out to these these people externally. She she writes these these letters to these people who don't have anything to do with her. I found myself like Googling Ruth Brassel. Is she, is she a real politician? Is she not? It's like, who's this woman? But yeah, so Allegra writes to, amongst the people that she writes to are Katie Taylor, the boxer and Amal Clooney, the uh, human rights lawyer and also wife of George Clooney. And I wondered if they were people that you had any particular admiration for yourself or just people that you thought that Allegra might. No, I certainly do myself. Well, I love boxing and kickboxing, <laughs> but I'm like, no, I'm no level of Katie Taylor. I, I, I wanted to have, I suppose that I'm, she's a really strong Irish role model. And, you know, but I, I wanted to have, I wanted to have kind of a quirky list of people that would, re- that would represent Allegra. And she, before she became a parking warden, she wanted to be in the guards and the Irish police force. So the Irish politician she reaches out to is, you know, the Minister for Justice and Amal being, you know, in the legal world, that was someone that she aspired 
um, looked up to as well. And I just, I also just thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Random people, but you know, who isn't inspired by Amal? <laughs> she seems to, to to be able to do it all. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a funny list, but it is, it's definitely her list, but I'm definitely inspired by them too. <laughs> So, I mean, related to that, but if you had to pick your dream five, who would they be and why? My dream five. You must have been asked this question over the course of... I know, yes, I know, and I keep, and I keep not answering it. <laughs> I've done so well to not answer. Because, um, yeah, okay, so my dream five. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure that your husband and your children count, by the way, just to be... No, and that's the thing. It can't yeah. be family members um, because everyone's answer would be family. Um, no, think. I have to think. I have to think. Would you believe I haven't actually answered this question? I guess they could be dead people. Like the dinner party thing. If you had the dinner party, who would you invite kind of thing? Well, this is a different question, isn't it? Because this is more is. kind of integral. So, okay. So I think there's so many versions of how you can answer it. And that's why it depends when I'm asked about mine, I'm like, yeah, but that's, that's not about what the book is about <laughs> because I didn't write it from my perspective. Yeah. However, if I was starting from scratch, I think it's really, really important to have a friend who has a van because that really, because I think you always need someone with a white van for, you know, delivering. And can you, I think that's important. Okay. Um, I would love to have a nurse friend, a doctor friend, an electrician friend and a plumber friend. Okay. Um, so I think pra- practically <laughs> speaking, like, you know, those people that you just like need help with, you know, that you yeah. just maybe a handyman friend. Um, okay. And I think if I could be the average of those fantastic people. Then you'd be really great. good at lots of things that are practical. Yeah, and I would be able to yeah. like manage my life and I would just be a really well-rounded person. Okay. I mean, you, you've massively avoided the question there, but I like what you're saying. It's good. <laughs> okay. Well, I'd have to put Whoopi Goldberg on the list. I just, she goes on every single one of my lists because I absolutely love her. She's amazing. Like Sister mm-hmm. Act. Come on. I know she's I done know. loads more things than Sister Act, but I am of an age where Sister Act is quite dear to my heart but um, like Lauren Hill and Sister Act 2 you know Lauren I know Hill. I know it's yeah. not as good it's, uh, it's not as good as the first one though is it although <laughs> I don't know I like the when the little boy sings for the first time wow anyway let's yeah. not get too distracted joyful, joyful. yeah it's a tune it is I don't want to like massively massively spoiler this for everyone because we have actually kind of stayed away from one of the main storylines in the book but the ending it's not what I thought it was going to be. Good. Was that, I mean, obviously it was a conscious decision because you wrote it, but did you always know how it was going to end for Allegra or did you kind of get there along the way? No, I, I knew. I, when I write every story, I kind of always know how it's going to end. It's just because she she's offbeat, so I felt that's what it needed. I also hate to be predictable when I'm writing because what's the point? <laughs> um Sometimes it's nice, actually. Sometimes it's comforting to get an ending that you wanted. But this isn't what I wanted to do with this. I felt, yeah, without giving things away, it is. Yeah, I basically knew. I, I, I knew where I wanted to go. And I think one of the big stories as well is the relationship she has with her dad. And I should probably explain why she's called Freckles. Because her her mom is Spanish and her dad, and she looks like her mother, but her dad has freckles. And so she got her dad's freckles. That's not to say that Spanish people don't have freckles. They do, but her mother doesn't. <laughs> but she got his, her dad's freckles. And she says that her mother is the, you know, gave up 
her to have everything, but her dad gave up everything to have her. So the freckles on her skin are particularly, it's the link between her and him. And it's, it, there is a, a, quite a lovely father-daughter story. So that kind of, you know, is, is a part of it's a huge part of the story. It's about them as mm. well. So I wanted to finish it about being about them too, without those spoilers. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that, I just realised after this, like, you've asked a question about the ending of the book, which is quite hard to do, <laughs> quite hard to answer without spoilers. But I think you did a, you did a really good job there. So <sighs> you are part of a kind of ever-growing group of extremely popular Irish women fiction writers. So, I mean, like to name a few, Marion Keys, Sally Rooney, Megan Nolan... And of course, like, you know, historically, there are some quite famous uh, Irish writers. Considering, like, you're a comparatively small country, I'd say you're fairly well represented in that in that world. Why do you think that the Irish are so good at it? I, like, I would say history. But I think any country that's kind of had a, a difficult past, Irish are storytellers. You know, and we would have had these great gatherings when you weren't allowed to speak your own language. Um, So there were a lot of secret gatherings where people would get together and and tell stories. And I think that just evolves then, doesn't it? It just kind of it's in your blood, it's in your in your body, (laughs) it's in your soul, you know. And then I think to to make it not so deep and meaningful, I think it can become a trend then. (laughs) You know, it could be something simple like, oh, you love your Irish authors hear the next one you know but I do think we are a nation of storytellers and and our language the Irish language is so lyrical like each word can mean so much more and can quite deep and philosophical and beautiful and very musical and that's you know obviously not um we don't speak Irish <laughs> when I were writing our novels but you know if it's in that's the way it began you know that the Irish language would be kind of a, a a beautiful way of telling stories. So I think it just stays with us. But I, I also think that Irish women are very uh, self-deprecating. I know that it's particularly Marion Keyes is hilariously funny, but still writes things that are real and moving, but in a very hysterical way. So I don't know, maybe we don't take ourselves, we take ourselves seriously, but we're, we're able to laugh at ourselves as well. So it's a nice way to read something that is true and that we can identify with, but in a way that that makes it like it's an easier pill to swallow. Mm. So sense of humor is important. (laughs) And also being such a small country, I think we're very grounded because it it does have that village mentality a lot where, you know, don't get too big for your boots. (laughs) So we all stay quite grounded. I don't know. I think all that stuff just seeps its its way into the story. Do you still feel grounded after 18, 18 novels? Absolutely. Yeah, nobody gets, like, there's a nice encouragement, but um, yeah, and I, I certainly don't think I'm superwoman or like, I don't know, I don't, yeah, I don't feel like I'm still trying to, I, it's still trying to challenge myself with every novel, um, trying to do something different and to prove myself, you know, and try to do something better every single time. I wouldn't rest on my laurels at all. But there's a nice, there's a nice circle of encouragement, but still, you're not completely accepted, <laughs> <laughs> which makes you want to work really hard. <laughs> Well, I guess it, you know, keeps you on your toes, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned screenwriting before, and obviously Freckles has has just been published uh, about a month ago now, but Freckles is out now, and so presumably you're about to start thinking about, well, you've got a couple of months now, and then you'll start your 19th novel. So what's next, other than the 19th novel, I guess? Well, actually, I'm about to start the 20th, because the 19th, uh, Freckles is supposed to be out this time last year, 
and due to the pandemic oh, was, um, was put off. So, so last year I was able to write my, my 19th novel and I'm about to begin the 20th. And I'm trying not to overthink it, but 20 is quite a big number. So I'm like, what should be the 20th? And I've never stupidly thought like that for every novel. So I think I need to not think of it being 20 and just go with the flow. So apart from about to begin the 20th, years ago, I published a short story collection called War, um, which is about 30 different stories about women, all at this kind of turning point in their life where they feel the need to roar, um, internally feel the need to roar. And it's about overcoming that dilemma that they're in and finding strength, courage, bravery to be able to just make a change. And it's been turned into a TV series for Apple TV Plus with Nicole Kidman. And wow. yeah, Blossom Films and Made Up Stories. And they're fabulous. They always work together on things like Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers. And so I'm yeah working with them. And we've made eight episodes half hour episodes for apple tv plus and and we've just wrapped in the last few weeks so there's been no uh, release date yet but hopefully it will be next year so at some point so i'm an executive producer on that so i've been working away on that that's amazing big little lies was i loved big little lies like i really enjoyed that it was such i mean it was such a good cast like you couldn't you know but, but it's, yeah. it, i was sad when it finished because i just i just wanted to see all those people on screen together all the time because it was yeah. so good and i think the great thing about these companies is that they make like women-centric stories and i remember when big little eyes came out it was so unusual it was so different i i because obviously we see women in film all the time but not necessarily all women you know mm. and the story is theirs and the supporting roles were their husbands whose stories were small <laughs> and and there to kind of feed their character. And I just I just felt it so refreshing. And so that's what these like Nicole Kidman is doing and Bruna Papandreou, they're finding these stories for women, which is why Roar, I think, is perfect because they're, you know, these 30 stories about women and all the different moments of our lives that we might not talk about. You know, these private small moments that you have, pivotal moments. And they're very quirky, surreal stories. They're quite unusual. So bringing them to life has been amazing. And uh, the creators of it and the showrunners are Liz Flahive and Carly Mensch. And they created Glow on oh, Netflix. Wow. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. So yeah. it's really, they've got a great, you know, very subversive uh, sense of humor, I think, and, and really push the boundaries. So it's, I'm working with a really confident crew of incredible women. So it's very exciting. How different is it to writing novels? Samantha, who was my first Okay, I created that and produced mm. it. So that was my first. And then I have, I've had involvement in the films. P.S. I Love made into a film and then Love Rosie. But obviously I had different, different roles in all mm. of them. Um, some more than others. Some just, you know, supportive, whatever. I'm there to take a writer's call or... Um, but this has probably been the most involvement I've had as an executive producer. And I, like as a creator myself, I think it's really important to let the creators do the creating, you know. But I also, it's... I also want to keep an eye on the tone and wanted to represent my stories. So it's been nice to have more involvement, to be involved in more conversations about, you know, about cast, about everything, about scripts. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it and want to do more of that. And then I also have been writing my own TV series and scripts and things like that. So I'm getting more, I think, more involved in the TV and film aspect than I was before. Okay, so if we want to follow you, Cecilia, how do we do that so we can keep up to date with, with what's going on? I'm on... Twitter. Okay, I'm Cecilia Hearn. <laughs> on Instagram, official Cecilia Hearn. And on Facebook, I'm on Facebook. Official Cecilia Hearn, I think it is. I'm not very savvy, am I, with my social media? <laughs> That's fine. I imagine you're quite busy, Cecilia, writing your 
9,000th book, so you probably don't have loads of time for, for tweeting and whatnot. No one should have that much time for tweeting, I think. I, I'm, I'm increasingly of that mindset. The only people I follow on Twitter is NASA and my husband. So <laughs> I thought, well, he kind of, he's interesting. He And then NASA, like if any big news happens, I really am only interested in like what's happening in the universe. I don't need to see news feeds about this planet. Fine. Um, I mean, they're quite yeah. depressing news feeds, to be fair. So I think <laughs> I think you might be onto something there. So Cecilia Freckles is out now, published by HarperCollins. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat Thank to me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Standard issue for all women.